Welcome to Season 4 of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network. Danielle Reynolds talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication. Proudly sponsored by All Play. If you're looking for a board game table, bag, playmat, or great board games, check them out at letsallplay.com. Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 77, Holiday Hijinks. Today, we are joined by Jonathan Chaffer, the designer of the 18-card game Escape Room, known as Holiday Hijinks. So you have so many of these. Let's see if I can name them all. I want to say you have Kringle Caper, The Independence Incident, The Pumpkin Problem, Cupid Crisis, Birthday Burglary, Groundhog Gambit, Turkey Trial, and Escape, or no, Easterus, Escamade? Did I get them all? Yep. And the next one in the line is going to be the marriage mix-up. Oh, geez. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Okay. Well, for anyone who doesn't know you, mind sharing how you got into game design? Yeah, sure. So I have been, um, let's see, designing games, I'd say, in earnest for about 20 years. And like many people in this hobby slash profession, it's really hard to draw a line in the sand of where that begins because you know i can remember inventing house rules for games since i have been playing games and i'm sure that's a common story yep i think kind of a defining moment for me was attending my first protospiel event where i really got to experience what other people were doing in the field and that kind of gave me a lot of focus and drive to try to make this a reality yeah honestly I feel like I have a very similar feeling when I was younger I always wanted to make up my own rules because I didn't like the rules or I didn't want to read the rules I feel like that's probably what motivates most people (laughs) oh man let's talk holiday hijinks how did something as specific as an 18 card game escape room come into our lives so this started as a design exercise or a regimen I set out for myself. I don't remember the specific year, but it's at least 10 years ago, probably more. I was finding that in trying to do design, I was having a very common problem of starting lots of things and not finishing anything. Part of that is the finishing always seemed to be find a publisher, pitch it, try to get it signed. And that is, for one thing, the least enjoyable part of the whole process for me. And also just hard to get to the point where I felt comfortable doing that with a game. So to try to combat this, I decided that instead of sending out Christmas cards every year, we were going to send out a game. So friends and family were going to get something. And that gave me a concrete deadline every year to get something on paper that was playable. It didn't have to be ready for the shelves of a game store, but it had to be good enough to not be embarrassed by it. So I was doing that for for a long time. And then in, I guess it was for Christmas 2020, was planning on the the idea came of could i do something like an exit or unlock something in that format and so the 18 cards bit came because that is the smallest 
number that you can get printed at some place like the Game Crafter. I always kind of wondered why 18. That's why. Yeah, well, so uh, 18, I mean, if you think a traditional deck of like poker cards is 54, if you count the Jokers, which is three 18s, and some printers will have a sheet that's big enough to have 18 cards, and then they'll cut uh, eight, cut that into a grid of 18. Sometimes their sheet size is a multiple of 18, but usually it's it's one of those, and the Game Crafter happens to be 18. So that was the magic number. So if you have 19, you pay for two sheets. Oh, jeez. Okay. <laughs> so anything 1 to 18 is all the same price. And, of course, the big thing, the big cost is postage. And if I'm going to send these out myself and not sell anything, then I needed things to be as affordable as I could. And over the years, postage has gone up, which has meant that the weight has to go down. <laughs> and... 18 cards in a little tuck box was was kind of the form factor for a while. So that was my externally imposed uh, limitation on it. So that's where the idea for it came from. Actually making a playable game in only 18 cards then was the big challenge. I was going to say, so I have played the Halloween pumpkin problem. And I know there's a digital app with that one. Is there a digital app with every escape room game? Yes, that, so that was one of the early decisions. In order to make 18 cards work, if you think of uh, a game in the Exit series, they have a, an entire system for hints and a system for checking answers that are, is all card-driven. It works well, actually, it's all, they all have, also have that little decoder wheel thing to tell you which card you're even looking at. But yeah, so you're constantly looking at cards that tell you whether you have the right answer or and all of those things. And I just didn't, ha didn't have any cards to spare. So those answers have to be somewhere. And so it was a pretty early decision to make it a website slash app. Okay. So walk me through just which was your first of these different hijinks? So the first one was the Kringle Caper, which was in fact designed as one of these free send out to friends and family for Christmas things. And I got it to the point where I was just testing it um, at, I think it was at a protospiel online where I was testing it. And that's where uh, the publisher Grand Gamers Guild noticed it and said, hey, could we make this an actual product? So that was the first one. When it was at that point, I'm assuming you probably already had the digital app associated with it. Yeah. So my, my day job is I am a web developer. So that wasn't a a really heavy lift for me. It's been intentionally a very lightweight kind of app. It doesn't, there's no server component. It's just a little HTML and JavaScript. Part of, part of the reasoning there is I always dread the, you know, you've bought a physical board game, but the app has no longer works kind of situation. So I've made it as low tech as possible so that it will survive for as long as we, oh, something called a web browser exists. That is so cool. So walk me through just how you came up with these games. Like how do the puzzles begin? How do you start to interweave it with the technology? Sure. The uh, first one, of course, was themed around Christmas because it was going to be you know, uh, a holiday card. And then when this started becoming a series, that was just kind of an obvious hook of, could we do some other holidays? And have been just kind of, 
riding that wave ever since. Starting on new one, one of the one of the early considerations is is the theme. I start with what the holiday is, try to come up with some kind of cutesy story you can tell around that. And I just come up with big lists of words. I actually do a lot of um, looking around for elementary school vocabulary lists and word searches to just try to come up with a really big list of vocabulary surrounding a holiday. And that's useful for a few reasons. One is it it just starts getting you thinking about what kinds of objects and scenarios you can conjure up that have something to do with that holiday. But another thing is that the puzzles in these games, I suppose I should say, for people familiar with Exit and Unlock, there are a few differences here, some of which are imposed by the 18-card format, like having the, having the app do the answer checking, but some are, some are my own preferences. These have a lot more wordplay involved than any of those other games, which have made decisions around answers always being numeric codes and other things that make them easily internationalizable. And my series is very much not that. It's both culturally specific in some cases and definitely language specific. So the answers are almost always words and phrases. So that vocabulary list that I've generated also becomes a bank of potential answers to puzzles. And it's often easier to design a puzzle from the answer toward the question. That is so cool. I know when we were playing, I'm not going to give spoilers, but my friend Eric was using much higher vocabulary where I was just like, dude, it's just this. And he's like, God damn it. I should have known that. (laughs) And it's like so funny because like now me thinking all of those are very simple, like normally like one word answers that you'd find on like a codenames game or something. That's really cool. Yeah. and, And also one of the design principles on these is... Most of the design principles are based around my frustrations playing other escape room games. So I want, I always want you, when you've come up with an answer, to know it's the answer before you check. If a, if the puzzle's been designed right, you should never say, okay, well, that could be the answer. Let's try it. I'm sure I don't succeed on that every time, but that's a big, that's a big principle. And then kind of hand in hand with that is... I never want a puzzle to feel unfair. Both Unlock and Exit, which I keep bringing up because they're the two biggest names in the field, tend to have at least one puzzle a game that breaks the rules in some way. So maybe you're looking at some something in the rule book or, or something like that. Yeah, same where they use the box a lot. The box, yeah. Those moments in those games are either the most fun you have in the entire game or they're the reason you remember hating the game. (laughs) And it just comes down to whether you have that little moment of inspiration to do the thing because you're breaking the, you're breaking the rules that have been set out, which is, which is fun if you are one of the people who catches on, but I'm intentionally avoid avoiding those moments because of the potential of there's no way I could ever ever solve that. 
So you haven't used your packaging as part of the puzzle? Right. Yep. So the so everything you need to solve the puzzles is on the cards or is general knowledge. And this is another place where the fact that it's 18 cards is a constraining factor here. Since I don't have a lot of real estate to hide information, I do bring in some real world knowledge on some of these in the form of common ciphers or information about, I don't know, the, the, um, if you play the 4th of July one, the, you might need something like, you know, past presidents or something like that. And when I do that, I put that information in a section in the, in the app that you can look at and it doesn't like hurt your score or anything like that. It's just information you might may or may not know. So there are those those situations but generally everything is on the cards and that's kind of the I try to make that a hard rule I think that's a great constraint I mean I honestly don't know how you do it it's pretty cool especially since you use the front and the backs and it seems like a lot of times you kind of come back to cards I know with the exit series and the other one you like will cut things up or you draw on them or whatever it is and it's like you do that a little in your game but I feel like it's hard when you need both sides of the card. You can't really cut things up. Yeah, nothing is destructible. And yeah, there are some cases where you might want to draw on the cards, but you don't have to. You can either do it with, you know, just a scrap paper or in your head. I try to keep it to that. Actually, I, since I do a lot of the playtesting using online tools that and the, the tool I've been using is ScreenTop, which works really well, but does not have a drawing tool. And that's actually, it was a bummer to realize that at first, but but it's actually been helpful in that it forces me to make sure that the game is playable without doing that. Interesting. So someone could probably, not to say replay it, but re-gift it once they've played, as long as they don't doodle on it. <laughs> yes. Yep. That is that is definitely intentional. Yes. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of reusing cards, that's another case where I'm kind of breaking a rule especially in a physical escape room, it's kind of a, a standard design, a design pattern that is accepted knowledge is that you shouldn't require using something twice so that people can move on. And the only reason I'm breaking that rule is that, hey, I only have 18 cards and I'm trying to get an hour's worth of gameplay out of that. So there is a lot of, hey, this is used in two different ways. What did playtesting look like for this and developing? So once I have, this is, it's, it's frustrating because playtesting is so different from a non-escape room or non-puzzle game because of the fact you can't play it twice. So my playtesters are a really valuable commodity since I, I can't use the same person twice on the same game. I, which in turn means I can't play test early like I normally would on any other design. The game has to be pretty much complete in terms of all the content being there for it to be a real experience. And in fact, the art has to be at least halfway there because the artwork illustration actually impacts how solvable the puzzles are. Wow. So the playtests themselves are straightforward once I get to that point. It's mostly the early ones are, you know, I know things will break, so I don't even have the app written. When I do the first playtests, I pretend I'm the computer and 
ask them, what would you type in right now? And I say what it would say. But other than that, I try, you know, the, the, the gauge on whether things are going well is how much I can shut up and let them play. It's so cool. So, I mean, the first game you made as a gift, but then afterwards, Grand Gamers Guild was like, hey, let's keep making these. So do they just have like an artist ready with anything that you needed? Or did you do the art? How did that part work? I am the illustrator on these for for better and worse. Wow, you're a triple threat. You do the design, you do the artwork and the app. That's insane. Yeah, and and there's a big asterisk on the illustrator. I'm not I'm not an illustrator, but I can get by for this purpose. So it, it has a style, I'd say, that is passable for these. Uh, we have uh, um, some great, some great artists who do the who do the boxes and all of that kind of graphic design after the fact. So I'm very grateful for that. But as far as the actual gameplay relevant art, I do all that, which is important because of the fact that it's integral to the um, to the gameplay. We're starting to branch out in using the system with some other series from other puzzle designers and for those we are using external artists and that's logistically quite a bit harder to get that done i believe it because when it's you you just minorly adjust an illustration or move a symbol around (laughs) otherwise it's like a bunch of emails are like oh we gotta jump on a call screen share can you do this can you turn that can you change this color yes there are a lot of layers in these documents oh geez how did you guys figure out like which holidays to do in the order? Because no offense to Independence Day, but um, that's an interesting choice as like a second one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's a list. And as we go on, we're kind of using up a lot of the biggest ones. Obviously, we've been going, I started out with Western holidays that are the biggest ones celebrated in the US. I'd love for the series to stretch beyond my personal experience we're currently searching for the right designers who want to do some co-designs because you know i i won't put my name on something that is someone else's culture so looking for people who are who you know personally celebrate other holidays like um like hanukkah like uh dia los muertos like you know any anything like that uh lunar new year so that we can branch out a little bit more but there's there has has been no shortage of subjects for me to work with so far so yeah fourth of july was a was more a time of the year like i think i can get one done in six months and that's about when that will be okay you do try to time it out to the holiday i i did originally now there's enough lead time where that is less important. It's more just kind of get them out. Fourth of July was actually partly there's a lot of puzzle fodder in lists of things. Like I mentioned before, past presidents, you've got, you know, presidents, you've got states, you've got, there are a lot, there's a lot of, back to that vocabulary list, there's a lot of categories where there are a lot of options and that makes for easier puzzle design. I was going to say, because you have each thing marked at this is different levels of how difficult it's going to be. How do you figure out how difficult the game is? Is it from like yourself playing it and like designing it? Or is it from play testers? You go like, hey, on a scale of like one to five, where do you rank this? Part of it is I usually have a target in mind, but I don't. Sometimes I have ended up shifting the rating at the end 
And, you know, the ratings are always going to be fuzzy because some people just have, especially when you have an, an aha puzzle, something where you just have to have inspiration. Some people will have it and some people won't. But generally, it's, I can tell from the first play test where it's going to land based on how long it takes them. And then I try to make everyone last, every one of the games last an hour eventually, but that isn't that's because they're, they're the same difficulty. I just, um, some of the easier ones have more things to do that are independent, that are individually easier. The birthday one is the easiest of the puzzles. And for that one, that was the first one that introduced an interaction system in the, in the app where every card gives you an object and there are things in the on the cards that have a little icon that you can combine an item with a location so it's like a monkey island point and click adventure kind of thing which was added to give you more things to do in the game even though the game itself is easier each of the individual things you do is easier that's so interesting. I feel like, I don't know, it, this is just really cool that you were able to come up with this and that you've continued to keep making them. Yeah, and it's a little bit, there's a little bit more of a formula to it now, although I'm still, you know, every every time I go through the same emotional roller coaster where I get to a point where uh, there's no way I can come up with anything to put in this new one. This is not going to happen. And then a month later, oh, it's done. So I've kind of got come to expect that, but I've got my list. So, you know, I try, I, every puzzle should have at least one word puzzle, at least one code or cipher, at least one logic puzzle, some kind of riddle or uh, aha inspiration kind of puzzle. I always do some kind of steganography. It's like where you hide information, like you have to look at something a certain way to be able to see the word or or image and i always do something like something spatial like a maze or something like that where it's it's just important i kind of have that checklist and i try to do a new twist on each of those and get those all represented cuz i don't want people to feel like any any game has a lot of the same kind of thing yeah you don't want it to feel like a copy paste of the same mechanics right and especially because when you're playing in a if you're playing in a group people are going to have different strengths and you want everyone to feel like they had their time to shine it's nice if i can get some kind of what they call an escape room in a physical escape room they would call a task instead of a puzzle like something that you have a goal you need to accomplish this goal but it's not necessarily you know thinking through a, a solution it's we've got to do this thing so it's maybe it's a you know find the hidden objects kind of thing those are good to have not too many of but enough that if you're in a situation where someone feels like they're not pulling their weight they can be kind of delegated something yeah so so keeping the the variety in in each individual one has been pretty important how many players would you recommend for one of these escape room games my Target number for most of these is two, and that's because couples are, are a common, common situation for this kind of game. Up to date, everything has been playable for one or more, and four players is still in the good range. Once you get beyond that, because they're 18 poker-sized cards, 
it just gets a little hard for everyone to see everything if you have more than four. And the uh, the upcoming marriage one is going to be the first one that um, is going to require two or more players for a gameplay reason. Okay. Is someone going to be <laughs> acting as like the husband and wife or something? Or it's okay. I don't. I don't need to know, but I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, without going too much into it, but there's going to be some some things where you have to communicate some things to the other person playing. So, yeah. Okay. I'm like just getting flashbacks to uh, the Hangover movies where it's like, oh, crap, we lost the husband. <laughs> 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 oh, man. Okay. Well, that is really awesome. I can't even imagine, like, how do you find your playtesters for this game? Do you just have like a server on Discord? Do you have like an email? newsletter like how are you finding people yeah so it started out for the first ones so i've got a fantastic local game design group called uh, grubs the grand rapids unpublished board game society we have our in-person meetings get about a dozen eight to a dozen people every other week and so that is that's a solid four tests worth of people if i'm getting two people for a test and then we also have uh, people who are farther remote who join us online only and on Discord every on the on the other weeks, and so I'll get a couple more there. So that'll get me six to eight tests first before I with people who are very forgiving of a broken game before I branch out to uh, a wider group. And then lately, I have been getting that second wave of tests through a mailing list that I maintain. So um, to get people to, uh, you know, be interested enough to not unsubscribe to a mailing list, I, uh, I have a, a form at the end of every one of those games where you can check a box to say to subscribe. And every month I send out some free puzzles as a give. And then the, the, the get is that Every once in a while, I'll put out a call saying who's willing to spend an hour and a half online testing this thing. And then I'll set that up and we'll do a Zoom call and and go through it together. So um, I've been fairly successful that way. No, I think that's a great way to keep an email list going. It's not just like, hey, here's this new game coming out. Buy it or like vote for me for this award or whatever it is. You're like actually giving something. How are you doing your research for these different escape rooms? Do you like just play a bunch of different games? Do you go to like physical escape rooms? Do you just like read a bunch of puzzle magazines? Like what do you do? Yeah, I mean, I I consume every every one of the games from the big lines that comes out because I just enjoy doing them, first of all. But there isn't a huge amount of research at this point, probably. I mean, once I kind of got the patterns down. Uh, it's it's weird because you know anything that I would find out in playing games is going to be difficult to apply without being a copycat. Sometimes you can do kind of, kind of twists on things. If I'm looking, if I'm stuck and trying to come up with a puzzle, one thing I will do is go through old issues of Games Magazine and just look at the pencil puzzles that are in there. Most of those wouldn't apply directly because of the simply because of the restriction on real estate you can't do a big crossword puzzle on a single poker card but my games are more explicitly puzzly than an unlock or exit 
because again because of that constraint so sometimes there are things that you can't really hide information among a lot of other information because there's just not enough room to put a lot of information so it has to be a little bit more upfront of this is the puzzle now solve it which means that some things are more obviously a type of pencil puzzle that's been adapted for this this scenario so sometimes i will get inspiration from those kinds of places that was really cool how long do you think it took in total for the original game to go from like that inspiration to it actually being published by Grand Gamers Guild? So the first one was about nine months, I think. It was, I started work on it in about March of that year. And that was a really quick turnaround publishing to make it in time for the holiday. So that was actually air freighted, which was feasible because it's so small. Now we're doing a more traditional printing lead time, which is three months or, or so. So that's changed to, you know, it'll be six months of design and development to get to the point where it's handed off for box and rules design and preparation for printing and then another three four months to see a finished copy so probably it's gone it's it, it the turnaround time these days is probably about a year from start to finish but there are multiples of these that are overlapping in that process do you have like an average of two per year is there a set goal yeah that's uh, that's i'm trying to we try to get out about two two a year and i'm trying to go a little bit faster than that to get a bit of a backlog <laughs> you never know what's gonna happen in life so i get that also hey we keep creating new made-up holidays so you're gonna always have content yeah i mean like i haven't ruled out doing a talk like a pirate day game i honestly had pirate in the back of my head at one point i also <laughs> just recently did a pirate escape room so that's why it wasn't for the actual reason of talk like a pirate day <laughs> And a lot of these you can go in fun directions as well. Like the one I'm, I'm pretty proud of the, of the Groundhog Day one, which is not themed after the holiday nearly so much as the movie. Oh, I love that. I actually watch that on Groundhog's Day every year. It's a tradition. Yeah. It's like you're leaving that day over and over, I guess. Yeah. I noticed a little stopwatch on the cover. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah, even, even the more obscure holidays you can do you can end up doing fun things like I that's not going to be the place where I run out of ideas it's going to be the puzzle design yeah so then of your experience what's your like favorite part and your least favorite part about designing these escape room 18 card games oh boy my favorite part is always the first successful play test I mean that's that's a rush when I get players who for the first time can go from start to finish without getting frustrated and giving up on a puzzle so so that's that's kind of the uh the carrot that i that i am looking at that keeps me going um the hardest part is the i mean honestly the the actual hardest part for me personally is probably the illustration because again that's not my gift or training and so i'm just doing enough to to get that to work but as far as the game design portion goes the hardest part is is always the final two or three puzzles every time when i have come trying to just kind of fit the narrative together 
because the, the 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 scope of the game is 18 cards telling a story along the way and usually i try to get 12 puzzles in 18 cards so i've got a little bit of half of the puzzles can can have two cards worth of information which is tight <laughs> to say the least yeah so there will be usually four or five that I'm pretty confident in that I do first. And then I'm trying to figure out which, which of those puzzle types have I not represented and get those done. And then I'm always left at the end with, okay, I've got eight puzzles done that feel pretty good, but I need some more content and where can I fit that in? And which bits can I put on which cards to make that work? Yeah, that's that's the hardest part. Oof, I believe it. And so if you were to offer just a piece of advice to any designer that was trying to do something like what you've just done, what would you recommend or like what would you advise? Um, don't, but... Wow, <laughs> as you say, hey, I'm looking for co-designers for these other holidays. Just don't do it. <laughs> Sorry, submission's closed because you're going to hate yourself. <laughs> that's right. No, I mean, I guess the specifics of the format like as I mentioned, have a lot of historical reasons. The design space, so there are lots of, I, I highly recommend that anyone who is interested in design try some really severe limitations now and then. So something like the 18 card or one postcard or any of those kinds of, of challenges you can set by yourself will end up spurring more creativity than pain in the long run. So that's great. But um, as far as as kind of escape room advice, I guess some some big things that come to mind are I some of the best advice I heard, and I can't even attribute it correctly, it's probably more than one person, was the number one advice I can give you about your escape room is that it is too hard. It's always too hard. <laughs> the 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 uh, puzzles are are harder than you think you think they are when you know the answer, and it is important to me. I don't know this is general advice that everyone would have to take, but it's very important to me that the hint experience be a good one. And I know I haven't always been able to deliver on this for everyone, but the strategy in these games is that the hints work like the old, um, for ancient people like me, the old Infocom text adventure games, where instead of saying, here's hint number one, here's hint number two, here's hint number three, it's a set of questions you can ask so that you can theoretically get information that's relevant to you. So I think as far as advice goes, I think it'd be worth more puzzle designers thinking about the experience, thinking first about the experience of a person who's struggling rather than thinking first about the person who's going to do well. I think that's great because I've done many escape rooms with like family and friends where you have at least one, maybe two people that feel like they didn't contribute at all because they had no idea what was going on. They felt lost and like, 
it's hard when you're that person because it's like you want to celebrate because the team did win, but you didn't feel like you contributed to the team win. Yeah. And again, I'm not putting myself on a pedestal as the person who's always done that right, but it is something that I think deserves more attention as the thing to work toward because it's an accessibility thing too. Yeah, honestly. Now I've worked with designers where I'm like, you know that this game is basically unbeatable because it'll be a, like a one player co-op game or whatever. And I'm just like, you're not to say you're smarter than other people, but like when you are the designer of the game of like some hard puzzle, it's very likely like you, you've played it so many times, you know how to do it. You see the strategy, but then when other people play it, it's like, they're not going to win. It's just, it's not fun. And there's a point where like making something hard to be hard just isn't a good choice. Yeah. And it's been a, it's been a, a playtesting challenge too, because like I mentioned, I can't retest, uh, repeat playtesters on the same game for obvious reasons, but I need to inject new playtesters each time because otherwise I'm getting an unfair, an unfair sample selection of people who already know my puzzle style and are going to be better at it because of that. No, I could see that. You'd probably need new people all the time. Do you ever just like dissect a singular puzzle and maybe like you keep the mechanic and how it works, but change it so it's not related to one of yours to just test and see if someone would solve it? Yeah, I have definitely, definitely done that from time to time. It's, it's more difficult than it sounds because so much of what makes a puzzle difficult or easy is the context. When I'm proctoring the early tests, when things need to be balanced a lot more yet, often the only information I need to give someone when they're stuck to solve the puzzle is telling them which other cards to ignore, and then they can do it immediately. Yeah. It's the unintentional red herrings. And if you if you separate out an individual puzzle, you've already done that. So it tends to be a lot easier. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. Though that's one of the reasons I was saying that I... I don't tend to do a lot of playtesting until I've done all the puzzles. No, that definitely makes sense. And then do you have any projects that fans should be looking out for? I know you mentioned a marriage version of these, but anything else? Um, yeah, I've got see the next next upcoming game that outside of this is uh, a communication party game called uh, Booba Kiki that will be coming out sometime probably probably late next year, I'm imagining that uh, is based on a psychology phenomenon of the same name, um, that is a discovery that humans associate sounds to shapes in a way that is language and culture independent. And um, so it's a, it's a game of syncing up with other, cooperative game of syncing up with other people in deciding which sound goes with which shape from, from an assortment. And so that's been a fun project to work on. Oh, that sounds really cool. Is that also with Grand Gamers Guild or with a different publisher? Um, that one will be, yes. Very nice. Okay. So do you exclusively work with him or do you branch out? Um, no, I'm, I'm, I, I've worked with other publishers as well. That has been, uh, it's just been a fruitful partnership because we have this ongoing relationship with the escape room games. We're in conversation a lot. So, so those, those opportunities tend to, tend to rear up. I mean, way to go. It's always good to have something coming out all the time. So that's awesome. <laughs> well, then for my last question, if you could have been the designer of any game that you didn't make, what would it have been? Gosh, so 
I think the answer has to be something that is that I admire the elegance of more than anything else. Like there, there are a lot of games that are, I've never been someone who can make games with a huge amount of content that needs to be balanced and have that be a fun experience in any way. So I have some admiration for those, but I would have to go with something like no thanks as an example of something that I wish I had come up with because it is one of those examples I'd hold up to as a perfect game, which is a lot easier to do in a small, I mean, like uh, not easier to come up with, but like it, it's more attainable to come up with something that I would say is perfect because it's so small. Like you can't think of anything you'd add or remove from that game at this point. It's one concept. Players make one decision, yes or no. And it's very obvious what's happening. Happening, I can teach it in 30 seconds and people will have fun every time. So yeah, that's going to be the one. Totally makes sense. I agree. I feel like those are the ones that sell the best. And especially if you can just get across how to play in like 30 seconds or a minute. Amazing. Yes, exactly. Well, perfect. Well, then thank you for being on the show. And thanks for everyone who's been listening and joining us for this episode of Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, episode 77, Holiday Hijinks. And thanks again, Jonathan, for joining us. Anyone trying to find you online, where can you be reached? Well, as you know, social media is currently a hellscape. So rather than say any of those channels where I may or may not be in two months, um, <laughs> I guess I'll point people to that mailing list I, I mentioned, which you can sign up for at thechaffers.com slash news. Perfect. All right. And then I'm your host, Danielle Reynolds. If you're trying to find me on social media, you can find me on Instagram. Twitter or X, whatever we're calling it, Blue Sky under the username Token and Gamer. That's G A Y M E R. Also, if you want to see the games I make, just go to dmrcreativegroup.com. But thanks again, Jonathan. This was super informative. Thank you for having me. Sure. Thank you for joining Danielle for another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication. If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out nodirectionpodcast.com. And if you're looking for a great board game, bag, play bat, or gaming table, check out All Play at Let'sAllPlay.com. Join us next time.